The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to today's show. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Born Free and um, learning some lessons from a life of charity and conservation with Will Travers OBE. And before we go to Will, I'd like to thank, uh, from last week, uh, the UK's most prolific developer of informational products, uh, Peter Thompson. It was a real gift for me to chat to Peter last week about how to develop your own products, as I'd been so inspired by his Achiever as Edge program that I'd purchased for many years. His voice was therefore very familiar to me. And if you've not checked out the interview and you're interested in developing your own online products for sale, then it's well worth listening to the man who's created today over 100 products that have sold all over the world. Um, so do take a check uh, out and uh, look at the, listen to the show in the archive. Uh, this week, I decided to take my 80-year-old son, who was on holiday, to a safari park in the West Midlands in the United Kingdom. And we enjoyed seeing wildlife in a much more open habitat than a zoo. And it did remind me of uh, wildlife visits I'd um, taken in South Africa and some trips that I did in Sri Lanka while I was on my honeymoon. And the experience combined with my upcoming interview with uh, the co-founder of the Born Free Foundation today, Will Travers, got me thinking about wildlife and whether safari parks and zoos um, you know, really are a good thing and whether they, because they do limit the freedom of uh, wildlife. And um, today, you know, wildlife is threatened in many parts of the world, um, as is the freedom of many human beings. And I think anyone and any organization which is out there helping to alleviate the suffering and the protection of life on our planet is so important. Will Travers OBE is an internationally renowned wildlife expert, and he's dedicated his life to wildlife issues. Since he lived in Kenya, while his parents, Virginia McKenna and Bill Travers, made the Born Free uh, film in 1966. Even if you've not seen the film, you may know the famous soundtrack that my wife has been singing and humming to me uh, quite frequently this week. In 1984, Will co-founded the charity um, Born Free Foundation, which works to stop individual wild animal suffering and protected species worldwide. He's the president of Born Free and the president of the Species Survival Network, which is an international coalition of over 100 organizations committed to the promotion, enhancement and strict enforcement of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. He's been involved in rescuing elephants, tigers and lions and loves to share his knowledge to further Born Free's vision for a more compassionate future. He was awarded Officer of the Order of the British Empire, that's an OBE, in 2012 for services to conservation and animal welfare in the Queen's Birthday Honours. I'm therefore delighted to be talking to him today. 
uh, about his life, about leading a high-profile charity, and also the conservation issues that we all should be caring about today. So uh, a big welcome to Will Travers. Well, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, good to speak to you, Will. And maybe we could start the, the conversation by perhaps you sharing a bit about this rather unusual childhood you had and <laughs> what it must have you know, what was it like to be brought up as the son of movie actors and travelling to Africa? Oh gosh, well it was it was fascinating and and inspirational and I think it probably sowed the seeds of the of the professional journey that I've been on for the last 30 years. Uh, we we travelled as a family to Kenya in 1964. Uh, I was 5 years old at the time, so you can now work out how old I am and um we lived uh, to the to the western side of Mount Kenya. Uh, where we lived for almost a year while the film Born Free was made. And I suppose it's perhaps worth just remembering that we're talking of an awfully long time ago when films were not made with computer-generated graphics and uh, uh, matte screens and trick photography. And in fact, in that, that particular film, there were no doubles used either. So if you are an insomniac like me and you're awake at three in the morning and here comes Born Free once more on cable or something, and you do take a look, what you see is what you get. That is a real relationship between um, two human actors and a number of lions who played the part of Elsa, the lioness in the film. Um, it wasn't for sure without its moments of danger. My mum's leg was broken. My dad was knocked down by one of the lions. But ultimately, what you see is a love story between these uh, between these different players, and a love story that has a remarkable uh, ending. In as much as that, uh, so many things that humans do are all about sort of self-gratification and holding on and a rather selfish kind of love and in this film it's actually all about letting go and giving Elsa this lioness her freedom um, when she could so easily have ended up in a zoo and I think it's that motif the motif of freedom and the motif of the individual animal that has been so central to Born Free and what I've been doing for um, over a quarter of a century. And you, uh, after that period of a year, you came back and what to the UK? Yep, came back to the UK. Mum and dad, well, mum particularly continued with the acting career. My dad started making documentary films. He made uh, films about um, lions and about the sex life of flowers, <laughs> uh, mainly natural history uh, films from then on. Um, and we actually also went as a family up to Scotland in the late 1960s when they made a film called Ring of Bright Water based on the famous Gavin Maxwell um, book. It's actually Gavin Ma it's the centenary of Gavin Maxwell's birth this year and uh, there have been quite a few celebrations to do with that. Remarkable writer who who interpreted the natural world in a really quite extraordinary way. Uh, anyways, that film was made, as I say, in the late 1960s. And then they also made a film, again in the late 1960s, called An Elephant Called Slowly. And this was, as the name implies, about a little elephant um, and was filmed on location in Kenya. And this was a, a fictional story, but with a fundamental truth running through it, which was that uh, this little elephant had been caught, this is the true story, had been caught as a gift from the then government of Kenya to the London Zoo. And she was waylaid 
for six to seven weeks while she was in the film with mum and dad. And at the end of that film, they said to the government, look, is there no way that we could perhaps have this little elephant? And, and with the help of David and Daphne Sheldrake, David, the warden of a huge national park in Kenya and his wife, Daphne, now world famous for her work with elephants, could they not return Poli Poli, which means slowly, slowly in Swahili to the wild? And the government actually said, yes, you can, but you know, we've made this promise uh, to the London Zoo, and so we will have to go and catch another elephant. And rather than subject another elephant family to the undoubted trauma of having a baby elephant, an infant, taken away from them, and I think people realize now just how complex and social elephant society is, they kind of said, okay, well, we, we'd better leave this alone. And Poli Poli went to London Zoo, where, to cut a long story short, uh, about 12 years later, she was destroyed. She was euthanized at the Elephant House in, in London Zoo, the last African elephant to be held at the Elephant House in London Zoo. And that was the genesis of of the charity it, so people think that born free well born free did start because of lions because of the film born free but the actual moment of inspiration for the charity was actually the death of an elephant gosh so so the uh, you know the born born free and then leading to the death of that elephant really had an impact on your life it did i i think it was it, i mean there was an amazing photograph um chris that was taken when um my father Bill and my mum Virginia hadn't been to see Poli Poli for 10 years because they thought, look, it's better that she makes, as it were, friends with the other elephants that are at the zoo and with the with the keeping staff at the zoo. There's a sort of rather a, it, to have mixed allegiances and to have these people you used to know turn up and, but then go away again could have been really traumatic. So they hadn't seen her for 10 years. And then they were told that, that she was in a bad state and they went up to see her and with a photographer from the um, Daily Mail, as I recall. And uh, there is this extraordinary photograph where my dad calls her name and she is at the back of the enclosure. She comes running down to the front and reaches out across the, the moat with her trunk. And my dad strains and reaches out with his hand and, and my mum does too. And there's this sort of frisson where they they reconnect after a decade. And for me, it's it's sort of a, a photographic representation of the an elephant never forgets. That's incredible. It's incredible. So you, you have been, uh, I can imagine through your work, you know, that's quite a, an emotional story. You've uh, had, uh, I imagine, you know, kind of lots of traumas um, from your experiences with, uh, with animals. Yes, I mean, often really good experiences or, or inspirational experiences. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, when we started out uh, with the charity in 1984, we were, you know, criticized, um, myself for being, you know, far too young and what were you doing? But also my mum and dad coming from a, an acting background, it was kind of, well, what do they know about this issue? And the truth is we didn't know. We didn't know anything about the issue. But we were very keen to learn and we it sort of almost in a visceral way um, knew what we didn't want. We weren't entirely sure what we wanted, but we were really quite sure what we didn't want. And that was to see animals locked up in unnatural confinement for little more than human entertainment. Um, and uh, so we've worked on that ever since. And in fact, I remember the director of the London Zoo 
at the time, literally a, a month or two after we launched, I met him and he said, uh, well, you'll be a nine-day wonder. <laughs> and uh, here we are 30 years later, and he's not the director of London Zoo anymore. Um, and uh, But you, you ask about those experiences. I mean, taking three of the last captive dolphins from the UK to the Turks and Caicos islands in the Caribbean and releasing them to, into the wild uh, after a six-month program of, of training and rehabilitation, that was pretty extraordinary. Um, rescuing uh, tigers from a tiny defunct circus in the south of England and taking them to India, uh, as we also did with uh, tigers we rescued from a circus in, in uh, Italy. Um, helping an elephant that had been kept in captivity for nearly 30 years in a private collection in uh, northern Tanzania with the help of the owner, with the, you know, not just the help, but the positive participation of her owner who said, I realize that it was wrong to have this female elephant on her own in this little yard. I know I loved her and I gave her the best food. I mean, it's not where an elephant should be. So taking her back to the wild with the help of, of one of George Adamson's most um, favored sons, uh, I, I don't mean rela blood relation, but you know, the extraordinary Tony Fitzjohn, who's done amazing things for wildlife. And with Martin Clunes, the British actor, we released uh, Nina back to the wild where she went on to have a calf of her own. These are sort of the thing. There's so much that's a downside in the world. There's so much that is awful. <laughs> and, you know, whether it's the ivory trade or whether it's animals locked up in terrible zoos or the terrible things that we do to each other. And we only have to open our newspapers or turn on the TV or turn on the radio just to, to see examples of that. You have to grasp and hold on to and cleave to the good things that give you inspiration and hope and that's that's uh, certainly my uh, my philosophy and it's a wonderful philosophy but were you ever tempted to go into acting for a for a very very short space of time and it, it was um it was probably a it wasn't a particularly fulfilling experience for me, and I'm sure it was a deeply disappointing experience for the, the people who hired me. I was hired twice to be in a couple of things, and I was really not very good at it. Um, and, I, and I just didn't understand what I was doing. I mean, honestly, I did 30 takes on um, a three-word sentence, and uh, I think that that was um, a signal. <laughs> that this wasn't the right thing for me so so acting was a, a brief encounter if i can put it that way and um and no more <laughs> so born free um how was that founded and what is it that you're trying to achieve with it well there's there's lots of uh uh, there's lots of charities in the world that work on conservation and there are also lots of charities that work on animal welfare but there are very few that actually try and combine those two different disciplines and look at whether there are uh, uh, welfare benefits that can give you better conservation outcomes and conservation efforts that require better welfare and I, and so we've we've come up with this expression called um, compassionate conservation which we truly believe offers benefits to the individual animals involved and to the species that you're trying to protect. And I suppose uh, it's, it's a fairly, it's a possibly fairly anthropomorphic approach. So putting a human value on this, but I liken it to, you know, you and me, there are 7 billion of us uh, on the planet, more than just about any other significant 
mammal species for sure and we don't want to be regarded as numbers you know we, we don't want to be uh, the number on our employment form or on our social security form or we want to be an individual we know that we have uh, individual characteristics and personality and the more we study wildlife uh, across a range of different species the more we realize that wild animals also have individuality personality characteristics and so we use compassionate conservation where we pay attention to the individuals that go to make up populations and by caring about those individuals i think we get better conservation outcomes at the end of the day yeah it makes a makes a lot of sense and uh, we were chatting before we came onto the show and you know if if, if only we could we could talk to the animals uh, i know there's been some um, steps that have uh, taken us a bit nearer, nearer to that, um, then we might understand actually that um, you know many of them go through the same kind of emotions and feelings uh, and awareness perhaps of ourselves. Well, I think that that's that's absolutely right. And and if you think of some of the, I would call them the great interpreters of animal language, um, and I don't mean that in a, in a physical speech sense. I mean that in in all its forms. Commu animal communication is probably a better way of putting it. But people like Jane Goodall. Uh, or Dr. Cynthia Moss, who, who's studied elephants for the last 30 years, or Baruti Galdikas, who studied orangutans, or the late Diane Fossey. There are many people who are our interpreters when it comes to understanding animal communication. And the more that their studies have progressed, the more we've realized that... Um, that many species have a very similar range of emotions, desires, and feelings. Um, very similar to our own and I would drill it down even further and say to your listeners if you have a companion animal I'm criticized for saying an animal is happy or sad I guarantee your listeners if they have a companion animal like a dog will know when their dog is happy or sad or distressed or upset or enthusiastic or whatever it's it's not hardwired it is an emotional response to a situation um, and it's expressed we can only express it in human language so i call it happy i have no idea what the dog calls it the dog may call it something completely different but i call it happy and i have no shame in doing that i think that we under we should understand and try and empathize with creatures um, at that kind of emotional level. What on earth is wrong with that? If it breeds a, a, a sense of respect and compassion, for my money, that can only be a good thing. After all, it was Gandhi who said um, that you judge the uh, humanity of a society on the basis of the way it treats, it treats animals. Absolutely. I uh, just got me thinking about I've got a Labradoodle, and <laughs> he's got such a great... A great kind of nature, and he's so, um, you know, he, he's he's always um, he, he's always consistently seems to be content, and uh, I just think, you know, so humans could learn actually quite a bit from him. I think, it, yeah, I think it's actually our, Chris. I think it's our inability to to tune in to animal communications. They don't have to speak our language. I think it's down to us to try and understand them better. Absolutely. Well, we're going to commercial break now. We'll be back again in a couple of minutes and we'll start to, to sort of tease into some of the key lessons that uh, Will has had from his experience of being the president of Born Free. So we're back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper with Will, Will Travers OBE. And Will, I think you know, it'd be just interesting just briefly to explore um, you know why you think the issues of conservation are so important for our future when you know in the current period uh, we seem to be in a you know period with a lot of international unrest which would be taking the attention of uh, government etc it, it does I mean, you're entirely right uh, we, we seem to be surrounded by um troubles of, of one kind or another um, and they're they're not just distractions they're actually terrible events that that cause us each and every day to be you know more stressed than we should be and more concerned than we should be and 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 more uncertain about the future than than perhaps we should be as well um, but before that it was the economic crisis so you know in a sense the world stumbles from one crisis to another and uh, we have to maintain a sort of constant attention, pay a constant level of attention to the things that that sort of will outlast one crisis or another and will still be there to be addressed when a particular issue has perhaps gone away. And one of them, I think, is the is the natural world and the envi- our environment, our shared environment, on which absolutely every life form on Earth depends and, uh, and on which we depend as well. So I think that... Um, uh, I was I was always struck when the economic crisis was happening that 
people were saying, well, you know, we'll have to relax the planning laws and we'll have to open up areas of, of protected natural habitat because we need to get our hands on the minerals or the oil or the whatever, or we'll have to do this bit of development or another. And I was always very cautious about this because I realized that it's actually a one-way street. If Once you've opened that door, once you've allowed that activity in what was formerly a protected area, you will not go back. It will never be it will never revert to what it was before. So quick wins can often lead to long-term disappointments and long-term decline and degradation. Um, uh, so when I look at conservation issues, you have to look at them in the long term. There are no easy answers to any of it, and particularly when you've got a massively growing human population. Uh, take, for example, um, Kenya. When I went there as a child, in the mid-1960s, I think Kenya had 9 million people. It now has around 40 million people. Um, it's the same landmass. Uh, the habitat hasn't got any better. In fact, probably the, the, the fertile areas of fertile land have probably declined, and certainly the area of forest has declined. So we've got something like four times as many people eking out an existence off of the same. And of course, we're we're doing it smarter. That's one of the things that human beings can do. They get to be more efficient. They get more. They get smarter in the way that they they do things. Well, supposedly smarter, <laughs> but at the same time, it's still take take from the human point of view and give give as far as nature is concerned. Um, and it's not just about raw human numbers as well. It's not just about you know nine million going to forty million. It's about resource use. And I think it's a, a shocking people come up to you know and say oh there's just far too many people in the developing world and i say well yeah, just hold on a sec hold on a moment um an, an american citizen will use in their lifetime 10 times the um, resource base of a kenyan and the uk only a little behind that about eight times the resource base of a kenyan so uh for every what eight Kenyans using their resource, it's, it's the same as one UK citizen. And I think that we need to look at not just raw numbers, but look at wise use of resources and how we can do things in a far more responsible and um, sustainable way. Uh, and that will be, mean some major changes. And uh, of course, it's very easy to say, well, you know, it'd be great to have more solar power and wind power and wave power and become much more self-sufficient uh, in terms of energy in the UK and not use uh, polluting and, uh, and heavy industry type uh, fuel, fuel sources, coal, uh, oil, gas, fracking, but, and it, but it'll cost more. And that's where the debate ha turns. It turns on, can we get it quickly and cheaply, relatively quickly and cheaply by fracking? Or can we go for the long-term solution and put in place some of the sustainable energy forms that we will need in the long term, but they will cost us more? Mm. And, uh, and we have to reconcile ourselves to the fact that we may have to pay more if we want to live the way we do. I think it's a really, it's a really fundamental point, isn't it? Are we prepared to, are we prepared to pay more? I, I was shocked to hear in, in this country, you know, politicians talking about it, uh, you know, being okay to. Um, demolish and build on um, ancient woodlands, mm -hmm. uh, and as long as um, other other woodlands were uh, being um, being created, and you, you can't create an ancient wood. You were talking about four hundred, five hundred years. Yes. <laughs> um, you know what? A, what a legacy to be destroying. 
Yes, no, absolutely. And uh, in fact, just literally a mile from where I live, which is a, a, an officially designated area of outstanding natural beauty, um, there, is a, there is a proposal to sink a, an exploratory wellhead to look for oil and gas. It's going to have a, you know, 130 foot high, so that's about 35 meter high uh, tower um, poking itself out of the woodland. And if, uh, my question is, all right, that in itself is going to be damaging enough. A thousand lorries are going to have to bring all the equipment to build this exploratory rig. But if they discover oil, then what? How many more lorries, how much more disruption, how much more damage, irreparable damage will there be done to an area of outstanding natural beauty, which is only accessed up a Roman road, a sunken Roman road that you can barely get two cars down. Uh, It's it sort of, is that really in the national interest? Is it so strategically important that it is worth um, degrading that part of, of England, which is the playground of London. I mean, thousands of people come to the area where I live every weekend in order to escape the city and breathe fresh air and have their moment as part of nature and be inspired. Uh, do they want to see an oil rig? I'm not so sure. No. What a, feels like a tragedy to me, but um, so yes. my opinion. <laughs> so let's, um, let's move on to some of the key lessons that you've had um, while you've been developing the charity. What is the vision for Born Free and how did you go about developing your vision? It's a, it's a really good question. I, I mean, in, in, in a few words, our vision is a kinder and more compassionate world, uh, one that cares for, for animals, for the environment and for the people who, sh- particularly the people who share those wild environments, um, uh, in, often living in the most fragile of circumstances. I mean, I think of, uh, for example, the ivory trade right now, and I think of where elephants are being slaughtered in parts of Central African Republic or uh, Niger or Sudan uh, or, or Chad. And then, then I think it's not just elephants that are at risk from these marauding hordes of AK-47 wielding um, poachers stroke bandits stroke terrorists, but it's the human um communities that live a very, very tenuous existence in those areas, you know, surviving from one meager season to another. And um, uh, we have to bring security and compassion and care, not to elephants. If I go and talk to a, a politician and I talk to them about protecting elephants, I'm probably get a, a slightly glazed look go over their face and, and, and words of support and, and platitudes. But if I put it in the context of those human beings who also need our support and help and who live alongside those elephants and share the same ecosystem services, the same water, the same trees, the same habitats as those elephants, that is a much more compelling and plausible argument um, to make and, and an argument that then demands, I think, that we reach into our pockets, our relatively deep pockets still, and do something about it. I was looking at the figures for the um, the UK government's annual budget for overseas development. So in America, it would be like USAID, and in the UK, it's Department for International Development, and the French have the same, and the Germans, the Italians, you know, lots of countries, Japanese, all have these budgets. The UK alone in this financial year will, will spend £11 billion. So 
getting close to $20 billion, which is the size of Kenya's GDP, on aid, on development aid. And its objective, and its entirely uh, appropriate objective, is to, is to use that money to drive down on poverty. And what I'm saying is part of driving down on poverty is securing sustainable and healthy ecosystems on which both people and wildlife depend and removing threats to those ecosystems and to those wildlife populations and those people. And one of those threats is is the sort of um, banditry that will either hunt elephants for ivory or traffic people or launder arms or money or drugs. You know, it's it's basically we've got to deal with the bad guys in order to give people and wildlife a chance. So I'm very uh, keen to push. If you want my, my vision, it is that we become more creative with our not inconsiderable resources to provide long-term protection and security for the world's wild areas, of which there are many, um, often more on paper than they are in reality to make sure that both human beings and the other living creatures who are passengers on this planet of ours um, have a future. Mm. Can, can, I, can I say from what I hear from you in terms of you know, you know, a lesson here for other people with regards to developing a vision, what it really feels like is what you have done is you've got to the heart of what's important because um, it's all this you know, there's all this surface stuff, this stuff that goes on in life and trying to save cut costs and those sort of things. But, you know, the hearts of Born Free is about compassion. And that's a yeah. deep thing, isn't it? That's a very right at the kind of identity, you know, deep core level of, uh, you know, what's, what's important. And, and I suppose that's maybe where you have to look. I, I think, well, I hope. I hope you're right. I mean, I, w I would agree with you. And I hope that those people who support us and who or who at least resonate with our message, I think that I, th I, th I hope that they agree as well. And it goes back to, to George and Joy Adamson in, in many respects. You know, the easy thing for them to have done would have been to have given Elsa, the, this little lioness, to a zoo and not put themselves through two years of of uh, heartache and ridicule by the authorities it'll never work you know no one's ever done it what are you wasting your time for and you know although i'm sure it wasn't said quite in this way but in the film if you see it there's a scene where um where my mum turns around to my dad who plays George and my mum plays Joy and he says what's wrong with a zoo anyway it's a it's a fairly tense moment in the film and she says uh, everything um, you know she was born free and she has the right to live free and I think that we that is a sort of core message for us the individual matters and put aside money possessions and everything else what is what is the single most important value that I think the vast majority of people share. And it's the value of freedom. Freedom to say what, you know, to speak your mind, freedom to worship who you wish without impinging on other people, the, the freedom to express yourself as you as you want, and the freedom to choose, to have choices in your life that that you can make. And it's when we and what do we do? What do we do to people who break the rules? The biggest sanction, apart from taking their life, is to take away their freedom. We put them in prison. We take away their choice. And I think that that is 
a fundamental part of our philosophy. It is it is choice, and and freedom gives us that choice. Mm. So you've got this you've got this big vision, and you've got an awful lot of work to do. How do you ensure that your organisation you know, practically gets things done on a, a day-to-day basis? <laughs> well, um, I've got a, there is a fantastic team uh, at Born Free, uh, and, and, and I think testament to that is the fact that so many of them have been with us for so long. Um, 30 or more people here in the UK and uh, another nearly 20 people in the US and then um, colleagues scattered around the world in other countries. Um, and, and whenever we're presented with a challenge, um, the first question we ask is, can we make a difference? And if we can, what will it take? It, will, it, it could be cred- um, creativity, it could be money, it could be sheer determination, bloody-mindedness. You know, we are not going to give up uh, on an issue. And sometimes the, the challenges we set ourselves um, can last for many, many years. Uh, for example, um, I, way back, 1995-96, I sat on a government... UK government panel looking at wild animals in circuses and uh, at that time neither the public nor the political climate was ready to accept that it was not appropriate to keep and use and exploit wild animals in circuses but um, 10 years after that another committee was established 2005 2456 and again I was on the panel, we revisited the issue, looked at the same issues with regard to the animals, but the changed landscape in terms of the politics and public sentiment and the professional views of organizations like the British Veterinary Association and came up with a conclusion as far as we were concerned that it was completely inappropriate to keep and use animals in this way. Well, here we are another 10 years on, 2014, And uh, the Prime Minister in the UK, um, David Cameron, has in the last few days again gone on record to say that subject to there being enough parliamentary time, and I I hope given that there is an overwhelming level of support both in Parliament and in the country for this, um, that he will uh, see through measures to end in 2015 the use of wild animals in circuses. We won't have tigers Uh, or lions or elephants. It will be illegal to do so. And I think that that will be a mark of our compassion as a society, but it also is symbolic of the sheer determination that those of us who have worked on this issue for 20 or more years, um, you know, we we do not give up. Mm. Enormous amount of perseverance by the sound of things. Um required to do that sort of thing. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break again, and after the break we shall continue with some uh, some more thoughts about um, you know, things like perseverance and creativity um, and things that we can learn from, well, to help us take our businesses further forward. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? 
Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm with Will Travers. And, Will, I really want to ask you now about, I think an issue that can affect many people in in organisations is if you have a niche, it can be very easy to get sidetracked. And you've talked about all sorts of issues, rhinos, elephants, different countries. You you are global in your reach. How do you stay focused when there's so many areas that could take up your limited resources? It's a, it's a good question. We, we're often, you know, asked, can we get involved with, uh, uh, you know, some campaign perhaps on f- farm animals or laboratory animals or companion animals? And, you know, we have to be pretty uh, strict with ourselves because, you know, it's tempting to say, yeah, no, we could bring value to this campaign. We could help in this way. But actually, we, we go back to our founding principles and our trust deed as a charity, which very explicitly sets out that we are a wild animal organization. And so that's the first cutoff point. We have to stick to that. It's wild animals and it's not other animals. There are some fantastic organizations who are working in other areas, but we'll, we'll stay focused on wild animals. And then, uh, and then it's that that fundamental first question which is can we make a difference and if so what is the difference that we you know to to plagiarize Obama you know what is the change we wish to be and what is the change we wish to see and uh, and is there a way of getting there even if it takes 20 years is there a way of getting there and what would that what would that look like what would success look like Um, is it changing 
a political mindset or a social mindset or is it literally uh, protecting an area of land or is it uh, preventing the 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 hunting of uh, of a particular species a, a, an example i would give you is um that uh, not not a lot of people know i think that lions are still hunted for trophies uh, around the world there are wealthy hunters who come to various countries in africa where this is still permitted countries such as tanzania and south africa um, and they hunt lions about 600 lions a year are killed for trophies and predominantly males out of a population for the whole continent of females, juveniles and males are probably only around between 25 and 30,000 lions. So a significant number of adult males are shot. Um, and it's yet another pressure on a species that's already subjected to massive pressures. So one of the things that we're, we're doing, what to give you two things. Firstly, you look at um, who are the major players and half the lion trophies go to the United States. And the United States has a piece of legislation called the Endangered Species Act, which is a very um, pr progressive piece of legislation which allows the country to determine that if a species is endangered, it can actually curtail or indeed, if necessary, end um, forms of uh, abuse or, or a use that U.S. citizens are engaged in trophy hunting could be one of them. Now we're waiting. We've made put in a petition along with a number of other groups, including Humane Society of the United States and the International Fund for Animal Welfare and others. We've put in a petition to the US government asking them to redesignate the African lion as endangered. Now that probably won't end trophy hunting. But what it will do, in my view, is it will probably drive down the number of trophies that are imported into the USA from say around 300 a year to perhaps a tenth of that number. Um, and for me, that's a win. I, people will say, but you didn't stop trophy hunting. I'll say, well, I, maybe we stopped 90% of it. And I'll take the 90%. I'll work on the rest. And the rest may only change because um, public attitudes change. But if I can get the law to make it tough on the trophy hunting industry to prevent this profligate wastage of, of lion lives, that's got to be a, that's got to be a win. Mm -hmm. similarly, similarly with with lions in 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 many countries but in Kenya for example where there is no trophy hunting lions are, are persecuted by local communities because they kill livestock and and I we've done attitudinal surveys there and local people say well look you know if, if the lion kills my my cow or my goat at night I'm going to go out the next morning I'm going to kill the lion and you say well what happened if they didn't kill your goat or your cow and they say well it, I would have no reason to go out and kill. I'm, I'm not, I'm not vindictive. I'm not out to kill lions. I'm just, you know, I'm just not going to have lions kill my livestock. So we are helping local communities build, and we're supported in this by by organisations such as Land Rover and Kenya Airways and others, which is where we interface with the the commercial sector. We're building what are called lion-proof bomas. These are nighttime corrals for livestock which are 100% effective against predation at night by lions and hyenas. So, the, you know, the local guy in the morning gets up, nothing's being killed, he has no reason to go out and kill lions, and he's a happy guy. So we are finding solutions at grassroots level as well as at policy level to try and protect lions. So it's a really, really good example because you're using a, you know, some creative thinking there to, to help 
help with that problem. And um, how do you use creativity to help you stand out in in a market that is crowded by all sorts of um, people and charities that are seeking funds for so many projects? Well, yeah, uh, it's a very it's a crowded space, but we like to think that we're we're a creative organisation. Um, we will take a risk. Um, you know, when we celebrated our 25th anniversary, we hired the Royal Albert Hall. Um, you know, and not many people are organizations are willing to to go out on a limb and hire a big venue like that and put on con a concert with many of our supporters uh, from the world of showbiz and and um, entertainment um, but we did that and that was very successful um, you know even sometimes almost silly things silly th things that you'd think are inconsequential how on earth uh, here's a good example um, if you Nowadays, when someone raises a lot of money for you, what, what do they do? They give you a big check, you know, the size of a, of a painting. And you all stand there looking a bit silly with this huge <laughs> check, which just simply says, you know, X company has given the Bournemouth Foundation £20,000, which is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. The money is amazing. But it's dull as ditch water in terms of a media event. You can't get any coverage for love nor money. So... We thought, well, how can we, we were going to be given a, a chunk of money by a, a particular organization. And um, we thought, how can we get public attention, media attention for this? So we sent out a flyer to the press and we said, come and see Rula Lenska, who is a, 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 an actress and a personality, a wonderful, a wonderful friend of ours. Come and see Rula Lenska pick up a £20,000 elephant. And we got... Dozens of media came uh, who came along, and what we did is we took a normal size check and we had a, an origami specialist fold it into an elephant, so it sat on her hand. And of course, it was a check for twenty thousand pounds. So Rula Lenska did indeed pick up a twenty thousand pound elephant. Everybody got the joke. Everybody enjoyed it. They all thought it was, a, you know, that was a fun way of doing it. We got lots of coverage. You just have to be. You have to persevere, you have to be creative, and you have to not lose focus. Mm. You, you must have to influence people in some really challenging situations. I mean, what are your tips for getting your message across and maybe changing mindsets when you're dealing with people like politicians, etc.? Et well, I think two things. The first thing is um, you. I've always found that it, you really do have to stick to your principles because the moment you start to waver on your principles, um, it's seen as a sign of weakness and therefore your negotiating position has been fundamentally uh, flawed. So I remember negotiating once to um, get a dolphin from a guy who had a dolphin in a tank. And uh, I said to him, I want the dolphin, but I will not pay for the dolphin. I will not buy the dolphin because then I will be seen as a soft touch for everyone else out there who wants to offload their dolphins and make the money and walk away. So I can't pay for your dolphin. And he said, well, I can't afford to just give you the dolphin. I said, well, so what are, the, what are these costs that you've got? And he said, well, you know, I've got lawyers fees and this and this. And I said, well, hang on a sec. I'm not buying the dolphin, but perhaps if I was able to assist with the lawyer's fees, he said, oh, well, you mean I wouldn't have to pay 
the lawyer's fees and all the transaction stuff that we would have to do on this. And I said, no, I think we could come to an arrangement here. You're not go- I'm not going to buy a dolphin, but I am going to help you with some costs. He said, it's a deal. But So I had not lost my point of principle, but we had found a way of dealing with the, the roadblock towards success. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that you, you've got to to look, don't lose your, your, your point of principle. It's an incredibly important um, lesson that I've learned over the years. Really good point. I'm going to give you the opportunity now. I think it's, people will be listening to this and some will be wondering, you know, how can I get involved with helping Born Free? Well, I mean, uh, you use the use the channels that we're all now incredibly familiar with and which sort of 15 20 years ago were the 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 cutting edge but now it's you know come to the website get in touch um look at what we do see our stuff on social media on facebook on on the internet on our website on twitter uh, all of those different areas we have a, a a very um well trafficked website with a lot of our films on there on our youtube channel uh which gives you an insight into the kind of projects that we do and the kind of people that we are and you know the bottom line is if you're a person like us and you share the same values and you share the same principles then you know you are more than welcome to be part of the born free family the born free generation and and by that there is no age thing i know I, we have we have my mum is 84 <laughs> she is part of the born free generation just as uh, my brother's youngest boy is and he's two so you know everyone can be part of this adventure part of this endeavor and hopefully together we can end up with um, a a world that we want to share with our children and we'll be there to inspire future generations I mean it sounds cliched but you know when we're gone we're gone all we all we do is what we leave behind I think that's a really good way to uh... A really good, important thing to to think about because you're absolutely right. And you know, I always say that uh, when I'm old, I want to be able to look back at my life and enjoy it all over again. And it's uh, you know being part of these sorts of things. Um, well, I think I think the Shakespeare. I, we we were talking a little bit about this before, but Shakespeare had it right when he said, "Nothing, nothing will come of nothing." So if you do nothing, I promise you, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> and, and I don't want to, to do nothing. And I think many people want to do something. So the first thing to do is decide that you're not going to be a nothing person. You're going to be a something person. And then everything flows from that. I don't mind if it's just five minutes a week that you devote to, to the world around you, to making your garden, your window box, whatever it is, a little bit better for nature. But don't do nothing. Talk to friends and inspire them and live as you mean to be well i think that's a wonderful way to uh, to end the show today with that final final message um thank you so much for being on i think it's been absolutely fabulous to hear your passion and really speak um, speak from your heart uh, and be so congruent with uh, with what you're trying to achieve and uh, what you have achieved so far so yeah, thank you i hope you've enjoyed being on today i have indeed it's been it's been great fun and and i really appreciate the opportunity thank you very much chris you're very welcome if you want to find out more about uh, born free go to www.bornfreeusa.org or if you're in the uk um go to www.bornfree.org.uk um uh, Will mentioned about negotiation and the importance of uh, being able to negotiate well when you're dealing with um, 
with uh, challenging situations and people. So um, next week's show, I'm actually having a, a little holiday um, and spending some time with my uh, youngest son. And um, therefore, I'm repeating a show with Derek Arden that I recorded a couple of years ago on negotiation. And it's a really fabulous show with a really great checklist on um, in top tips from a real expert in the, on the world of negotiation. So uh, do listen to that next week, and uh, we shall be back with you again in... Um, and another week or two's time. So I shall speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.